Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Anthony, like Graham said, and they normally keep me over at the Vine campus on Locust Street, and we have church on Saturday night. So that means I'm all warmed up for this morning, because I've already done this twice now, and you guys are here for the the actual, the, this is the real message, right? Like those were just warm-ups for this, absolutely. Not really, no. I'm continuing the upward journey, guys, and we have a catchphrase for the upward. First of all, let me ask you a question. How many of you know that a year is too long to do a series? It's too long. So we split our year-long series on spiritual growth into three mini-series of equal length, four months each, which is way too long to do a series, four months. So we split our mini-series into mini, mini-series but it's all part of the the upward journey right now. So what in the world is that? The upward journey is all about beholding and becoming. Please tell me my clicker is going to work. It is switched to on. I do have the slides on my phone. No connection. Requesting help from the tech team. Where does my help come from? (laughs) My help comes from the tech booth. Aha, it works. Thank you very much, though. It was a prophetic act. It was like the Lord's Spirit coming to help. the. Thank you very much. Now we can start. Maybe we shouldn't edit that out. I don't know. It's real. All right, here we go. Beholding and becoming. This is our catchphrase for the upward journey. And we get this right out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. What's that? Oh, it's not actually fixed. Okay, that's all right. We're reading the verse anyway. We all with unveiled face. Thank you, TJ. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul is saying, look, guys, this is what we want to do. We want to spend time with God. We want to get to know God, focus on God, because as we get to know him and spend time with him, he's going to rub off on us. We are going to become like him as we get to know him better. So this is the idea of the upward journey. We just finished a a mini, mini mini-series on the attributes of God, and now we're in one called God in the Psalms. But let's remember, even as we look at God in the Psalms, we're not just looking for no reason. It's not just curiosity. We want to become like what we see. Amen? Next slide, please. Awesome. July. God in the Psalms. Just said that. Next slide, please. This could be interesting. Awesome. Nope, Psalm 46, there we go. Today we're going to talk about God as your security. Now when I did the intro for the Psalms over at Vine, I mentioned that the Psalms are just poems, right? They're just ancient poems that were set to music and used for worship. And for a lot of the Bible, you need to know the context to really apply it to modern day life. You need to understand what was going on in the world and kind of have a snapshot of the culture. But for a poem, I mean, if you've ever been sad or angry, or if you've ever felt like something's unjust, or you've ever needed to repent for something, you've, you have enough of the context to get a lot out of the Psalms, just from understanding the emotion that they're written out of. Does that make sense? But for this one, I want to give a little bit of possible historical context. This is the Psalm that inspired Martin Luther to write, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. They think that some very intense things were going on that inspired the writing of this psalm. And some people think it was the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. Now, who were the Assyrians? For all intents and purposes, just really bad, mean dudes. And there were really bad dudes that were beating up everybody else, and now they're at Jerusalem. 
these are extremely violent people. These are people that the people in Jerusalem would have heard about. They would have been afraid of them. I mean, they're just knocking down kingdoms left and right. And now they're laying siege to the city in Isaiah chapter 37. And the, the, uh, the kind of the mouthpiece of the Assyrians, it's called the Rabshakeh, which I think is a really cool word, sends a letter to the king of Israel. Now imagine you're Hezekiah, the king of Israel, and the baddest dudes in the known world that have been killing all these other kings and destroying all these other nations show up at your doorstep and they give you a love letter. And the love letter says this, Hezekiah, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? And this is the last paragraph. The guy says, where is the king of Hamath? Where's the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Period, end. What's the clear connotation there? They're all dead. All those people have been conquered and destroyed. Don't kid yourself and think you're not going to be anything more or less than the next victim we have. You're next. That's it. So Hezekiah's response is very interesting. He doesn't lock himself in the bathroom. He doesn't call his advisors. He doesn't cry. In Isaiah 37, chapter 14, it says this, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And then Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He's in a fortified city. But what I want to realize more in my life and what I want everyone here to realize, just like Hezekiah realized, is that God is actually his security. God is the one that's going to take care of business. He's the one he's going to rely on. So that is the main idea I want us to get from Psalm 46. But first, let's read it. This is out of the ESV. I said last service it was the extra snooty version. I don't know. (laughs) There might be some truth to that. But I like it. I don't know what that says. But let's read it. This poem is written in three separate stanzas. We're going to read each at a time. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And Selah means pause to reflect on what we've just read. Stanza two. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, that's the city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. It's appropriate to amen at the end of that. That was a pretty powerful psalm. I like that psalm, which is why I wanted to talk about it. So I'm going to lay out the three things 
that I really want us to grasp right at the beginning so there's no gray area. These are my main points right here. Number one, God is your security when the worst possible thing you can imagine is actually happening. When it stops being theoretical and you're in the middle of it, he is your security then. Point two, God is your security when it looks like the worst possible thing is about to happen. And number three, God is your security because he intends to bring peace through total victory. God does not intend to bring you peace through endless treaties and debate and like constant tension where nothing's actually happening, good or bad. It's just kind of tense muck. God doesn't believe in that kind of peace. God intends to win. Amen? That is what it means that God is your security. We're going to talk about all three of these, and I've kind of interwoven some response prayer time. So if you're new, and what I just said horrifies you because you don't really come to church that much, and now I'm going to make you pray, I'm going to give you some pointers right now. Is that okay? When I say let's bow our heads, you do this, and kind of look at your knees. And when I say amen, just kind of nod a little bit as you raise your head and look back at me, and you're going to fit right in. Nobody's going to know. We good? All right. Let's. Oh, okay. That's right. Ah, now I know how to do it. Let's talk about this main theme first, and then we're going to attack all three stanzas. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. This is kind of the main theme of the psalm. God is your security, right? It starts out, all three stanzas say this in one way or another. In the first stanza, verse 1, God is our refuge. But later there's a little bit of a shift. It says that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Fortress is a stronger word than refuge, and we're going to get there. And I think there's a reason that he wrote the psalm this way. But before we get to fortress, let's talk about refuge. What does this mean? God is our refuge. Well, actually, the way it's used, this word actually really means a shelter like from the rain or from storms, but it can also figuratively mean a place you're putting your hope or your trust. Does that make sense? So it has a real physical meaning. It's a rain shelter for real against real physical rain that's going to soak you down if you don't get out of it. But it's also a spiritual emotional shelter against things that might cause you to be disheartened or to lose hope or be depressed. It's used both ways in the Bible. Physically, a shelter in Job 24.8 says this, they are drenched by mountain rains and hug the rocks for lack of shelter. Okay, makes sense. But then figuratively, in Isaiah 4, 5, and 6, it's used this way. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. And that's talking about internal storms and rains, isn't it? It is. So as we read this psalm, you can apply it to real actual physical dangers that you need to be kept secure from, but also all the innumerable non-physical struggles we go through, God intends to be your security in that as well. Amen? Here's a picture of what this refuge might look like. My wife and I hiked the Bar Trail. Anybody heard of that? Going up Pikes Peak? Yeah, baby. You should try it. You will not be prepared, probably. And I'm speaking from experience because it was a lot harder than we thought it would be. But uh, maybe you will be. Maybe you'll be better than us. But it kicked our butts for sure. Uh, it is one of the most dangerous trails in America. And it's not because of the trail. It's because of thunderstorms. I know it seems weird, but all over online and outside magazine, it says if you're above the tree line and you see storm clouds, you need to get below the tree line to this place. This is the A-frame. They build it right over 11,000 feet, right about the tree line, so you have a place to retreat to to save your life so you don't get zapped. People get struck by lightning every year. 
It's bizarre. It's extremely dangerous. It, it's a real hazard. They actually suggest you get off the mountain below tree line before noon to avoid dying. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I thought for sure it couldn't be serious, but it is. So this is a great picture of a refuge that you might retreat to to save life and limb to get out of the weather. The A-frame. Very nice. Oh, hmm. Oh, look at that. It's interesting. <laughs> Let's dive into one of the three points. Security when the worst thing is actually happening. You guys ready for this? First stanza. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. I feel like I find a way to work this theme into almost every message I give, but it is everywhere in my defense in the Bible. Let's shrink it and talk about it real quick. Boom. But that thing is chaos. This is really, really, really bad. If you were in the ancient world, the worst thing you could possibly imagine was that the pre-creation chaos would come back. In all the ancient stories, you had these gods that were beating chaos to create order. And this was kind of a stock image in the ancient world, like the big chaos oceans were the enemy, you know, and chaos could come back and cause more chaos, and we needed the gods to keep chaos at bay. And no, the psalmist isn't borrowing from another religion. But what he is using is he's using the imagery of the day that would have conveyed this message. This is the worst possible thing that could happen. If primordial chaos comes back and destroys everything and the mountains sink into the sea and everything is literally uncreated before our very eyes, the worst possible thing imaginable, then I still won't be afraid because God is my security. That doesn't have quite the effect on us today that it probably would have a couple thousand years ago. But just know, this is literally the worst possible thing. And as we read on in the psalm, we get the impression that this imagery is meant to portray a real enemy that had the power and the desire to undo Israel. And the psalmist is saying, even in the midst of that actual chaos, when it is one more time actually happening, non-theoretical, it's then that I won't be afraid. Right then in the middle of it. But this brings up an interesting question. If that's literally happening, if the oceans are rising up and the mountains are crumbling into the sea, that's, that's probably not going to get it. I'm going to go ahead and submit to you that the A-frame, as nice as it is to keep you out of the rain and keep you from getting struck by lightning, it's not really going to cut it, you know, if chaos is coming back and the earth is being uncreated and it's like the nothing from never-ending story, right? It's like you need something a little sturdier than the A-frame. God bless it. You need something like this. You need something strong. You need a fortress. And I think this is the reason for the poetic shift in the psalm. I wish I could zoom in. That dude in the very bright shirt standing there on the lighthouse is leaning against the doorpost with his hands in his pockets. He's not worried at all. And so I submit to you, this is probably not his first storm at sea. I think he has confidence in the fortress. He has confidence in that lighthouse. And he knows that the waves are going to come and go. The ocean can do what it wants. He's just going to chill out because he's safe. He has security. This is the image I want us to keep in mind of what it means to the psalmist that God is our security, even if the worst thing happens, even if chaos erupts all around you. Amen? First response time. Thank you. I love that feedback. That was good. Are you in chaos? 
And if your answer is, I'm not sure, then the answer is probably no. Because if you've ever been in chaos, you know it's all consuming. It dominates your life. Is the worst thing actually happening? Verse 2 says, therefore we will not fear, but let's change it and say, therefore I will not fear. Here are some markers, some things that may have happened to you that might be the worst thing ever. Therefore I will not fear those CPSs involved. Anybody ever had the pleasure of dealing with them? You don't have to raise your hands, but I will. I will not fear though I'm in the midst of a divorce. Though my new boss hates me and is crazy. Again, show of hands, amen. I will not fear though I realize I can't beat the addiction. Though I can't find work and the savings are drying up. Though I have to be out in two weeks and have no place to go. Though my children are rebelling and breaking my heart. The worst possible thing actually happening. And if you haven't been there, I know you know people that have. We don't all handle it the same way. But the psalmist is making a commitment. He's saying, I will not fear. And that's a decision. So let's bow our heads right now. And if you have the courage, I would encourage you to make that decision. Let's pray, guys. Father God, Lord, we submit to you that we are afraid and we are in chaos. And Lord, we, with our mind and our emotions, we almost feel like it's silly to say, God, but we commit right now. We decide we are not going to fear. Just repeat after me. You don't have to say it loud, but do repeat after me. Say, Lord, I will not fear. Lord, you are my security. In Jesus' name, amen. If that was hard, we're not going to spend a lot of time doing this, but I encourage you, if that really struck a nerve, come up to the prayer team, get prayer about whatever that is later, okay? But we just made a decision, and now we're going to move on on the basis of that decision, like the psalmist does, to the second point. What if the worst is about to happen? This psalm was probably written when Assyria was laying siege to the city. So let's read this next stanza and keep that in mind. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's shrink it again and talk about it. That's still really long. Let's try one more. There we go. Again, this describes a city under siege, and it might not be immediately apparent how it describes a city under siege until we look to that great spiritual authority the Lord of the Rings. This is Minas Tirith, okay? Now, Minas Tirith is about the most secure place you could imagine on earth. It's giant, it's high, it's surrounded by walls, they have a huge army, great field to fight on, Pelennor Field, I think. I'm, I'm, yes, I got it right. Oh, I get the thumbs up from Elijah. Awesome. So, even though it's one of the awesomest cities in Middle Earth, I mean, you'd be afraid, wouldn't you, looking out and seeing all those orcs? Gandalf was afraid. If Gandalf's afraid, I think I would be afraid. You start to wonder where your security is really at, all right? Anthony, what are you getting at? Aha, hold on. Let's look at a map, an aerial view of the area around Minas Tirith. Now, Minas Tirith is that white circle in the center, and you might notice this small, unobtrusive thing weaving through the center there. What is that? It's a giant river, right? It's the River Anduin. Now, why did Tolkien imagine a giant river right by this amazing fortress? Well, Spurgeon actually has an answer for us. 
because the great fear of an eastern city in time of war was that the water supply should be cut off during a siege. If that were secured, the city could not hold out against attacks for an indefinite period. So then this verse, in this verse, Jerusalem, which represents the church of God, is described as well supplied with water to set forth the fact that in seasons of trial, all sufficient grace will be given to enable us to endure unto the end. Wow, that's so nice. The psalmist is talking about what a big river they have and how well supplied they are with water so that they can stand up against this siege, right? Kind of. They didn't have a river. Jerusalem didn't have a big river like Minas Tirith. The Assyrians are surrounding the city. They see this city in the middle of the desert with no water supply, and they're like, oh, they're done. It's only a matter of time. And inside the city, these people are saying, oh, we've got a river. You can't see it. We've got a river. And not only that, it makes the people glad. Other verses talk about that, doesn't it? Come on. She read about Jeremiah 17, I think, about the trees planted by the river. What river? Nobody sees a river except the people in the city who understand that it's actually the presence and the grace of God. They have a better river than Nineveh or Babylon or Damascus had. They can hold out better than those other cities because it's actually the presence of the Lord. God is the source of favor and strength. God will not be moved. God's in the city. The city will not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. Why does it talk about morning dawning? Because that's when the fighting started. That's when the battle lines were formed and the daily battle began, usually. So this verse is saying we don't have to stay up stressing all night about the enemies that are surrounding us, about the certain impending doom that we can see when we look out. Because we know that when dawn breaks and it's time to do the fighting, we have someone that's going to handle that for us. We have a God who is our security who's going to go out and help us when it comes time for battle. And this isn't just physical. The whole psalm works figuratively as well. Look at this. Psalm 30, 35. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. God's intention is to help you when you need it. He doesn't saw the branch when you go out on a limb. He is your security. If he's in the city... The city will not be moved. Does that make sense? Amen. So the nations now, this, the, the poem moves on. It says the nations are raging and the kingdoms are tottering. Isn't this interesting imagery? Well, to rage means to be in a commotion, a tumult, an uproar. And totter has the, the connotation of slipping and wavering and falling and being out of course. Guys, this is chaos. In stanza one, he said, we don't have to worry even if chaos actually happens, ultimate chaos, like the ocean surging and everything falling apart. In stanza two, he says, you know what? We've got a better river than you think, and not only that, but it's going to be you guys who are in chaos. You impending doom that we can see right outside our walls, you're going to be tottering. You're going to be raging. It's not going to be us. We're immune from that because God is our security. We will not fear, verse two, but you have something to worry about. You have to worry about being in chaos. God destroys the impending doom, the worst thing in the world that could possibly happen, the Assyrians. God is going to destroy them with a word. He speaks and the earth melts. That's, that seems pretty strong, doesn't it? That seems like coming through, doesn't it? There's, that's not an ambiguous outcome. That's definite. 
So is there impending doom in your life? Is there something that's dominating your thoughts? Do you have an issue that is making it difficult to function normally? If you have something that is looming, I don't have to convince you that it's there. You already know. You came in with it, you go to bed with it, and you woke up with it. So that could be financial, physical, relational, occupational, any word ending in O-N-A-L, apparently. It could be. And I don't have to convince you it's there. You know it's there. But if this is you, you need to understand something. If you feel surrounded, outnumbered, or endangered by anything, God will help you when morning dawns. When the enemy lines up his battle lines and it's time to fight, he is going to fight for you. This is a certainty. Let's believe it. Let's bow our heads again. Father God, we have decided not to be afraid. Lord, we won't be afraid even if the worst thing is happening, but Lord God, we will not be intimidated. We will not be intimidated by impending doom. We will not be intimidated by things that threaten to undo us, our families, our relationships, our finances. We are not intimidated because we believe that what you say is true, God, and you will help us when the morning dawns. We believe that you will fight for us, Lord. We choose to believe it. We stand on it. God, we take you at your word. Say, I take you at your word. And I expect you to fulfill it because you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Worst thing happening? Don't worry about it. Looks like the worst thing's going to happen? Don't worry about it. Let me tell you a story. You guys want story time? Testimony time from Anthony? Okay. Don't raise your hands again. Anybody ever had any, I say, I say that, and then I ask a question, so you feel like, there must be like conflict in the audience. I don't know if you've ever had any dealings with the law. I have not. I've never really broken the law. I'm not a felon, but I kind of came home one night, and the police are waiting outside my door. I was living with the Gerbers. High five. Gerbers are here. And uh, they served me papers to show up in front of a guy in a black robe at a specific time to hear a decision. It was a custody battle summons. I went through two of these, and they stink. They're no good. And if you've ever been through anything legal, you know there are certain emotions that arise that are difficult to describe to people who have not been through it themselves. There's somebody else that's going to make a decision about something very important in your life. And the other party usually isn't friendly. And in my case, they were definitely not friendly. It was horrible. It was chaos. It was both the worst thing that could happen, it felt like, and impending doom. I've got this date coming, right? You guys know that one phone call made that whole thing evaporate? I didn't even make the call. I'm not going to go into details. You can ask me about it later if you're curious, and I will happily tell you. I received a phone call, and it was done. Gone. He speaks a word, the earth melts. He wins. So this impending doom never happened. Don't raise your hand. I'm going to do it again. Anybody ever had somebody call and say, you owe us a bunch of money, time's up, we're garnishing your wages? Yay, I've had that too. Forgot all about that debt. Thought I consolidated everything. Missed one for a long time and moved out of state. So they think he's avoiding paying the money. I just totally forgot. You know, I've never had anybody talk to me that way before. Certainly no one with the actual authority to call my work and take my money when I already don't have any of it because I'm in a custody battle anyway. Guys, I mean horrified, ashamed, enraged, victimized, like all of these emotions rising up in my heart. 
and then I never heard another word about it. They forgave the debt. I have no idea why. I got a notice that I needed to pay taxes on that money because it figured back as income or something. I was so happy to pay the taxes. <laughs> Amazing. How did, why? How does that happen? Who does that? How do you go from pay us now or we're garnishing your wages to, eh, not a big deal. Forget about it. Come on. He speaks a word. When morning comes, he will help. Impending doom does not have to land. All right? Not every buzzard has to get into your yard. Sometimes they just move on, and that's the will of the Lord, okay? So let's just believe that. Let's have some faith. Hey, man, that was an aside. Let's get on with this message. All right, stop, stop wasting time, Anthony. All right, we're moving on. It's not a waste. Amen, that's right. God is your security. The worst thing's happening, he's your security. Impending doom, he's your security. And you should know that he intends to secure your security through absolute and total victory. Last stanza, my favorite. This is the stanza that has the line in it. Be still and know that I'm God. Well, I can't wait to talk about that one. Here we go. Come now, be, come now, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is total victory. This is absolute and total conquering by God. And I like the fact that the NIV changes chariots, it translates the word a little differently, to shields. Do you realize what that means? If he's breaking the bow, shattering the spears, and burning the shields, it means that they're not only weaponless, it means that your enemy is defenseless. It means not only can they not attack you, this impending doom that you thought for sure was going to be the death of you, literally or figuratively, one or the other, now they not only don't have weapons, they can't defend themselves. Not only can they not advance on you, they're open. You can take a shot. Suddenly, they're in the bad spot. They're in chaos. Do we see the shift here? That's how God secures victory for his people. He can do that. Next, this is my favorite. Here we go, verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Who has heard this quoted this way? And if you've done this, don't feel bad because this is very valid in Scripture. But you quote this verse and you say something like, just be still and know that he's God. Just be still right now. And it's like meant to give people peace. Now, you know, you can go all over the Bible and get that. You can. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That's right. So there's all kinds of things. Come to me, you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you. So this is a theme that's present in the Bible, this just being still and letting God be God and putting your faith in him. But that's not what this is saying. This is not saying sit down and relax. This is actually a command, and it's strong. This is saying, in the words of the Jameson, Frosset, and Brown commentary, leave off to oppose me and vex my people. I am overall for their safety. They didn't write in the 90s, maybe the 1890s. They spoke a little different. Here's how Spurgeon says it might, it might sound in modern-day English. Hold off your hands, ye enemies! Exclamation point. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. Acknowledge that this... Acknowledge that Jehovah is God, ye who feel the terrors of his wrath. Wow, that's a little different than just calm down, sit down and relax, put on some nice quiet music and just know he's God. No, this is very strong language to our enemies. This is God saying, sit down and shut up. 
And to you and to me, his people, this is God saying, hold my grape juice and watch this. <laughs> it's very strong. It's meant to inspire confidence for us and absolute abject terror for the enemies of God. Because you're on one side or the other. You're in the city and you're waiting for your God to rise up and help you or you're about to have your bow broken and your shield shattered. Amen? Your chariot burned, driven into chaos, and become an epic loser. God intends to secure a total victory for you. So what's the end result? You're in chaos, he's your security. Impending doom, he's my security. He's going to create total, unending victory for me because he's my security. And then God says this, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's just praise. I'm going to get worshipped out of all this. So when the worst is happening, when you are surrounded and you think for sure you're doomed, you look out of your window and you see the Assyrian army. They are there and they mean business. This is the end for sure. Don't see a way out. We need to have a mindset change. God is for us, not against us, right? We need to stop reading the Bible like we're the ones he's so mad at. And we need to realize that we're his children who are getting picked on. And he's about to come to our defense. He's going to help us when morning dawns. He's going to break their javelins and spears and shields. We're the ones he's going to strongly support. He's our refuge, okay? We're in the lighthouse. Have the mindset change. Read the Bible and realize that when this is happening to you, God is about to show off. God likes these situations. And as I said last service, I have in my life frequently wished he did not like them so close together. But the fact is, he likes to come through. He will prove himself the hero, and he's going to get worshipped at the end. So here's the challenge to all of us. Let's be ready to praise him in the beginning. The psalmist does this from the very start, did he not? Even if the worst thing I can imagine as an ancient Near East writer, which would be, I don't know, chaos coming back, even if that happens, I will not fear, verse 2. Even if we're under siege by a real physical enemy that's killed everybody else, I will not fear because you can speak a word and the earth melts. You're in the city. The city's not going to be moved. I will not. I will not. You're going to break their bows and shatter their spears and burn their shields. I will not fear. God, you are my security. Because here's the secret. It doesn't matter what the ocean is doing. It doesn't matter how big the army is. It matters what your fortress is. The Lord of hosts, and that means the God in charge of the, of the angel armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah on that. And let's let the oceans do whatever the heck they want to. Amen? Amen. Jimmy, why don't you come up and exhort us, man? Actually, let's pray. Why don't we pray to close that out? I'm sorry, man. Lord, we believe that. Let's say, Lord, I believe that. Lord, you are our security. You are where our help comes from. You will do the fighting for us. Our job is to have faith in you and believe what you say, and we do that. And God, I know there's some people in here that are in the middle of it, Lord. They're neck deep, and they're saying, man, I really want to believe that. Well, good news, that's in the Bible too. There was a man that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what? God worked a miracle for that guy. So, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And our faith is in you and not how well we grasp this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.